When I was a kid, my home parish of Sacred Heart in Barberton was divided by about a, a mile, mile and a half. That is, the church and the rectory were located on Hoppikin Avenue near Hoppikin Gardens Chicken House, and the school and quite a bit of land was located on Shannon Avenue between Milliches and Terrace Gardens Chicken House. The rectory, known as the Old Farmhouse, was eventually abandoned and they built a new one on the property down the street next to the school. And as the story was told to me, the bishop instructed the pastor to bring all the buildings onto one piece of property, and that meant to build a new church where the school was. Now the old church, the brick church, was a, a great old building. It was an English Gothic church, and it was done very, very well. And it had a small but mighty Chantz pipe, pipe organ in it. And one idea was to put the whole building, this tells you how small it was, on the tracks behind the church and just ship the whole thing down the tracks to the new property, unload it there, and have everything on one piece of property. But there was all kinds of reasons not to. The church was small. It didn't have great restroom facilities, and some people said, oh, it's just old, whatever, so let's build a new one. So a new church was planned to be built, the architect of which, by the way, was the son of the man who was the architect that built all of our buildings here at St. Sebastian. One thing, however, a liturgist became involved from the diocese, and you know what they say about liturgists. There is a distinct difference between terrorists and liturgists. One can conceivably negotiate with a terrorist. And one of the biggest bones of contentions was the choir loft. The parish really, really wanted a choir loft, and the liturgist, misciting Vatican II, we now realize, declared that there was no longer a place for choirs in the Catholic Church. And if the parish insisted that this was going to be done, then he said, they must be located in the sanctuary. The choir would be located in the sanctuary. And this choir, made up of very staid and stoic Slovenians, would not even entertain the idea of such a thing. They were indignant at the very notion. So a compromise was struck. There would be a choir-designated area in the back of the church, which, if you know anything about acoustics or music, is a horrendous idea. This story did and continues to play out to a certain extent in church architecture, but thank goodness to a much less extent in our own day. All kinds of different shapes and configurations were trotted out, and the one persistent problem with all of them, at least one, was sound. Nothing can be done with them without extensive equipment and microphones and speakers everywhere. The layout of our church is what's known as basilica style. That basically means a rectangular room with an elevated end in a kind of apse area. It was used by the Romans long before there was ever a Catholic church. It was immediately adopted by the Catholic church. And 500 years ago, when the Protestant church came into being, it was adopted by them so that this layout of church is the vastly predominant style of Christian church architecture in the world and throughout time. And do you want to know why? It's not because it's traditional. 
It's not because it's all anybody knew. And it's not because we are not creative enough. It's because it works. You can see. We've got this elevated stage here. You can see. People can hear. If, and then I realize there's some, still some problems in the back with hearing here with our microphone system, uh, which we hope to start having fixed in the near future. But if we didn't have microphones, I can stand out here and talk loudly enough and you can hear me without mics, right? And the Roman rite, the Roman Catholic rite, grew up in spaces designed like this. So it best fits spaces like this. So, oh, also, I forgot. It's even why we have such a, a, a celebrated organ in our church. It, it, an organ is not just the organ. Like, if we had a, a great piano, which we do, or a good guitars or whatever, those stand on their own. You take those anywhere. They're a great instrument. But the organ is not just the instrument itself. It's also the building in which it is. And so the reason people, celebrated people, love to come to play our organ is because the entire church is the organ. And this building is phenomenal for music. So that's why most Christian church buildings tend to be laid out in this certain configuration, no matter what the architectural fashion is of the day. It could be Romanesque, it could be Gothic, it could be Rococo. It could be St. Peter Basilica, Notre Dame, or our Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. It could be St. Bernard, St. Mary, St. Vincent, or our own St. Sebastian. It's like having four wheels on a car. When you're designing a new car, you tend not to shy away from the four-wheel plan. It's a given because it works and you don't mess with it. So keep that in mind as we go through today's gospel. Jesus says today he hasn't come, away, come here to do away with the law or the prophets and the good things that God taught us in the Old Testament, but to bring them to fulfillment. So it's no longer just don't kill. He says, don't give way to your anger. Don't hate. Don't harbor grudges. Forgive. Don't just avoid actual marital infidelities outside of marriage, but don't objectify people. Don't entertain lustful thoughts. Don't give in to your darker side. Don't just avoid taking false oaths, but live truthfully at all times, no matter what. There are no passes, even for small exaggerations, for stories. To follow me, he says, is to tell the truth, always. And why does he tell us to do these things? Because he wants to us to follow some vague notion of being good? No, that would just be manipulative. Like good architecture, he wants us to follow this pattern because it works. It works best overall for the human person individually and over us as a collective whole. And granted, there are some things that might work better for the individual, but it's likely to be at a sacrifice to the greater body or our culture or our future. Now, that's like somebody who says, I don't care as long as I get mine. And who wants to live in that world? And there are things that might be better for the greater good at the sacrifice of the sovereign dignity of the individual. And that's a world that's likely to be deadly, literally. And that's why the 20th century was one of the bloodiest in our history. 
but the way of Christ best respects the sovereign dignity of the human individual person, while at the same time forming cultures that allow us to live together well. It is given to us by the one who created life and the universe and designed it to have meaning and to operate best in truth, goodness, and beauty. And it was from him then that we received the blueprint for life. Could we sustain a great culture without God? As a president always asks who wants to be re-elected, are you better off now than you were four years ago? So ask yourself, as a culture rids itself more and more of God, have we become more truthful? Have we become more faithful to each other? Have marriages and family at least maintained, let alone being strengthened? Is our art enriching and noble and inspiring? And have we become a people more dedicated to life? So we hear today in the gospel from Jesus, God, or in the first reading, God has set before you life and death, good and evil, and whichever you choose shall be given to you. I choose God and faith and life and truth and goodness and beauty. And it appears, since you are here, that you do also. <laughs>